0: You know, when I went to, to the military to join the Air Force, I remember going to basic training and I, like most other trainees, uh, experienced a little bit of uh, a rude awakening. And that's not just at like five in the morning when people are kicking trash cans to wake us up from our sleep and stupor. We, uh, I found myself just really surprised at what I, I hadn't considered enough before going into basic training. I mean, I knew the basics. I knew that I would get awakened early. I knew that I would have uh, different physical requirements. I knew that there would be a lot of rigorous training and discipline and all of those things. I knew it on paper, but I didn't really count exactly what that would cost me. I think many people would agree. You don't think about the fact that uh, a lot of the things that provided you comfort at home are not going to be here. I was not really prepared to to sleep in a little twin bed with a thin dust cover for a blanket, a tiny little pillow. I wasn't prepared for, I don't know that I had really prepared for the impact of all the things I would be leaving behind, things that I had been involved in, things that I was committed to, things that I were that, that I had responsibilities uh, to be at, organizations I was a part of, maybe a job that I had left, maybe there were clubs, sports, all those commitments walking away from. I don't know that I was prepared for the impact uh, of being away from my family and my loved ones for an extended period of time. One of the things that you learn when you're in the military is that even though there are some benefits on the other side of this, it costs you something and really you don't experience real discipline unless what you're doing costs you something when you recognize that something costs you something you treat it with a sense of urgency you don't treat it passively it's there's there's an importance to it there's an emphasis there's a priority to it you know what we're seeing in our text today is Jesus showing us the very same thing that When things are important to you, they cost you something. The same three things that the basic training really cost me, comfort, commitments, and family, are the same three things that we see represented by these individuals who come in contact with Jesus. This passage, we're gonna see three different individuals who walk away from Jesus, who count the cost, and for various excuses, they walk away. And on the surface, many, dare I say all of us, probably sympathize with their situations, their understandable situations. But in the end, they end up doing the same thing we did, the same thing that we've done in different ways that we uh, create excuses from walking away from things that cost us too much. These folks in this story, they walked away uh, from this offer that Jesus made with little hope. Of returning, and Jesus knew that better than any of them now, up to this point in the passage, uh, there's been this competitive, selfish attitude between the disciples of Jesus, and they had consistently been rebuked by the, by Jesus during this time. but this time you could see they they had uh, they had counted the cost at least in following Jesus, and they had made the right decision for all their faults. They had shown themselves on some level to be committed to Jesus. What was the proof? They had already been willing to to, to give up several things. And so in many ways, this passage we're gonna read is a commendation for them. And they're a commendation for anyone who's willing to make these temporary sacrifices in order to gain this imperishable reward. I'm reminded of the words of the old missionary, Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A question to you, and hopefully the question we're asking of ourselves, are you willing to follow Jesus regardless of the cost? Even if it costs you everything. In other words, how much is Jesus actually worth to you? Now, when we think about commitment, what it means to be committed, everybody seems to question the commitment of other people. Sometimes we might question our own, but we're more likely to question the commitment of others. Be honest, you uh, and I, we have a general idea of what commitment should look like, right? You have an idea of what commitment looks like. I can say pastors oftentimes look at attendance in worship services and, and different groups that you might have throughout the week, people showing up for small group and Bible study, showing up to serve, those are things that people might look at as a sign of commitment. If you're a working parent, mom or dad, and you're working a lot of hours, you might feel like sacrificing the overtime hours is necessary in order to prioritize family time. And that is a sign of commitment. And so it's easy to look at other people. If you're a pastor and you look at other people, they must not be committed because I don't see them doing this. Or if you're a parent, And you see other parents who might be working a lot of hours, you might be willing to judge them and go, they clearly don't prioritize family time because look at how many hours they seem to work. Children might view honesty and doing chores around the house as a part of their commitment to Christ. And hear me out, none of these things are bad. If we're using these things for ourselves, none of these things are bad. But they underscore the fact that we all have an idea of how commitment to Jesus looks and we often will look for that in others. So allow me to implore you, let's just focus on us right now when we read this text. As we walk through this text, no finger pointing, uh, no assuming that others are not as committed to Jesus as we are, just ask yourself this question. Are there areas in my life, in my own life, that Jesus is pointing to that might need an adjustment? Are there areas in my life that Jesus is pointing to that may need an adjustment? Areas where maybe I'm taking some good things, exalting them to ultimate things, and thereby possibly creating idols, and then judging myself and others by those things. Things that maybe I have uh, disproportionately ordered uh, in, in order of importance and maybe overlooking some things that God is saying should be number one in importance. Let's let's really work through answering that question. With that, let's read through Luke. Luke 9, 57 through 62, we have been walking through this series called Following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Clearly, we're looking at these words where Jesus says, straight up, follow me. And we're looking at different examples of what it means to follow Jesus. And we are following Jesus through these texts as we prepare for Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday, following him even all the way to the cross. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that really mean? Are we truly following him? Let's look at Luke 9 57 through 62. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and Birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we're seeing, I hope you can see these three examples yet again of the ways in which we uh, don't count the cost or should count the cost. This first example we see in verses 57 and 58 is comfort. Do I count the cost of, of what it may mean for my own idea of comfort? you have this first person. Jesus has already done a number of things that have gone on. We've we've got the transfiguration. We see Jesus uh, exerting power over this demon-possessed person. You see times where Jesus is predicting his own death to his disciples. You see the disciples struggling with their own selfishness, arguing about who's going to be the greatest. You see them moving into uh, Jerusalem and figuring out what God's kingdom might be. And then here, here we are now, Jesus is traveling. He's done a number of incredible things. Folks have been following. Folks are trying to figure out what is this circus? What is this this sideshow almost? It's exciting. It's new. He seems to be pretty wise. He commands a large audience. And there are folks who think they wanna follow him. This first person is not unlike a lot of us sometimes. Maybe you have been this way or you've seen other people this way, right? The person who is eager, all too eager, to sound committed without the actual willingness to commit. That's been the case for a lot of marriages as well. We like to sound committed and act committed without the actual willingness to commit. In other words, there are a lot of people who focus a lot of attention on the wedding and not on their marriage. They want to look committed, but they don't actually have the willingness to do the work of actually committing. People love to speak boldly without counting the cost. I will follow you anywhere. That's what this person says. I will follow you anywhere. But here's the question. Are we ready to follow even if it means we will be uncomfortable? You see, Jesus turns to this man and points out something. This person says, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Trust me. Listen to my words. I'm, I'm so sincere in my words right now. I mean it. There's a, a level of 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 uh, vociferousness in there that you should see just how serious I am. I really want to follow you, and Jesus tells him, "Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head." What is he saying? He's saying, "You, if you really want to follow me, you need to be prepared to journey with me, and I can't promise you you're going to have a roof over your head. I don't even know where I'm staying tonight." And if you're really gonna follow me, you need to follow me in places where you may not have your creature comfort. What is Jesus saying here? Following Jesus means learning to flex our discomfort muscles. It's not enough to pledge commitment with conditions. I'll commit as long as following you doesn't interrupt my tea time. I'll I'll commit as long as, as following you doesn't interrupt my habits. I'll follow you as long as it doesn't get in the way of the things that I lean on for reassurance. That was this person. Once they counted that cost, though, they moved on. We see no other evidence that this person followed Jesus. Jesus just moved to the next person and said, follow me. You understand that when you are called to follow Jesus, there there is a cost somewhere that you have to count there's something that you're probably clinging to that's going to get in the way. It's going to compete for your affections. This is the question that you have to answer. What is competing for my greatest affections? Are my greatest affections provoked by following Jesus and being loved by Jesus? Or do I have affections that are provoked that are greater than that? Because Anytime your affections are greater for something that's not rooted in following Jesus, it becomes a competitor. Even the good things will become a competitor. That was this person. And when Jesus said, he wasn't even saying that those things were bad. Jesus is always saying, reorder even the good things in your life so that I'm at the top. Just reorder them. And even reordering them makes us walk away. That was this first one. Then you have this second case, and this is a head-scratcher when you look at it <clears throat> at first glance. This one can be hard. So Jesus says to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first, let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Wait, 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 wait. This This really does cause some questions, right? I mean, God is supposed to be all about values, right? Family values. And we'll talk about family in a minute, but these commitments, these obligations, God wants us to keep our commitments, right? Is Jesus really saying, forget about your dead father and just follow me? Well, not exactly. And this really had me wrestling a good deal. And, and hear me when I say this, because we are in a time right now where there are folks who have experienced incredible loss. People have always experienced loss, don't get me wrong. But we've had uh, quite a, a time over the last two years with the pandemic and people who have lost loved ones and people who have loved ones who are struggling even right now. And so to read this passage can feel really callous. It can feel really hurtful. It can feel like, wow, Jesus, are you telling me to just shun these responsibilities? I have. I don't necessarily think this is what Jesus is saying. When you study this deeply, I think Jesus might be saying something a little bit more, but first we have to understand what the importance was for a son to bury his father during these biblical times. And one commentator put it this way, this was required of a son by the Torah, right? This, this Jewish Bible and and implicitly in the Torah, there was this command, right, to, 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 to honor one's father and mother. And so the idea was it's implicit in that command to care for uh, uh, and to make sure you bury your father and your mother. That was implicit. Then later in Jewish tradition, it was very explicit, whether it was in Genesis 50 and several other um, extra biblical writings that Jewish uh, priests and, and prophets would study. And where the where the burial of the dead supersedes other religious duties. We see that in Leviticus 21, right? Priests, you remember before, the priests were never allowed to touch a dead body. It defiled them. They weren't allowed to touch them. But in Leviticus 21, too, priests are allowed the defilement of touching the dead in the case of close family members. So it was important. And it was very important because they were able to touch the, the dead bodies of family members and not violate the command of God. So We know that in the Old Testament, it was a requirement. It was was a part of the Old Testament requirement. Your commitment was bury your loved ones. Yet, Jesus in his response denies the legitimacy of delaying for that reason. He's not saying that you aren't supposed to do it. But he's saying, if you're putting off obeying me, if you're putting off following me, For these good commitments, that is not an acceptable excuse. Now, it's important also to know that we might even understand this phrase, to bury my father, in the sense of, I just want to look after him until he dies. There's a lot of evidence that maybe this man's father isn't even dead yet, but he's just saying my father's old, I want to be close to him so that I can look after him until he dies so that I'm here to bury him later. But even if that is the case, that's also required by the Torah, it's required to be present uh, to care for your aging parents. That that commitment is so important, that idea of honoring one's parents, and that's really what that means, a part of what that means to honor your parents is to be present when they need help and to be able to bury them. And in honoring one's parents, that's so important that if you fail in any of these responsibilities I'm gonna list, it would actually be violation of the Torah, a violation of God's law. Here are the things that you were responsible to do for your father, to bury a father who has just died, to participate in the six days of official mourning after such a death, to look after one who is sick and perhaps near death, and to provide for an aging parent who may yet live for many years. From the standpoint of being called to discipleship, the longer the delay involved, the more reasonable Jesus's negative reaction becomes. That's what he's getting at. He's not saying that these things are wrong. He knows that they're required, but he's saying, if that requirement, if your understanding of that requirement means that you exalt that requirement above my requirement, then your delay is unreasonable. You see, the call to discipleship is for Jesus, an absolute one. It's not a it's not a request. It's not uh, a suggestion. There's a sense of urgency. It's an absolute call that need not satisfy any normal uh canons of responsibility. Whatever it is that you thought or what you believe is the most important thing and we're really good at doing that. Well, I just believe that the number one priority is this. I believe that the number one institution that God values is this. We say that, and we go beyond what even the scriptures say. We'll say God is pro-family, God is pro-life, and God is pro-this or that. God is pro-God. Please hear me. God is pro-God. Which means the things that he calls us to do always take priority over the things that we subjectively think are most important. God requires us, Jesus requires us to follow him first. That should be the number one priority. So when he says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead, this is Jesus saying, my call to you supersedes even the strictest obedience to the commandment of the Torah. Listen, We all have an idea of what we think God is saying in the scriptures, and we have every single one of us, outside of the things that are clearly prescribed in scripture, we all create our own levels of importance, and we create our own kind of doctrine within a doctrine, a canon within a canon. I've got my go-to passages that inform what I think my most important responsibilities are in God, and then somebody else might have their own go-to passages, and now that is their theological underpinning for what they think is the most important thing. And Jesus is saying, even if you're using the good scriptures, even if you're using texts that came from me, texts that came from God, you need to be very careful that you don't take texts and exalt certain things that are true above the most important things that God says are true. Follow me. This supersedes even just how however committed you are to the word of God. Make sure that your commitment to the word of God doesn't violate the very heart of God. Jesus is saying, the level of your religious commitments should not be prioritized above mine. Sometimes you might have a view of God, like we said, that might inform you, that tells you certain things are most important. And all Jesus is saying here is, if that hinders you from following me, you have the wrong idea about God. Isn't that that wild? You can have even a view of God that you got from the scriptures that might hinder you from following him. And you may have the very wrong idea about God. Now, if it is the case that the father, the man's father in this case, hadn't died yet, and the man is simply saying, I just need to take care of my father till he dies. Jesus is just saying this shouldn't stop you from your obligation to follow me. Why? Again, because God's kingdom supersedes every earthly and religious commitment. Now, when you think of burials today, our, our process is pretty straightforward, right? A person dies, and within days, there's usually a funeral. Now, depending on the culture you come from, some of us take a little bit longer to bury ours than others. The culture is a funny thing, but usually there's, there's days, maybe a week. Uh, but when the funeral is complete, you go to the gravesite, you proceed with burying the body, unless you cremate it, but you still have some type of a, a ceremony. This is usually done within the same day. Or uh, at most, the funeral is one day and the burial is the next. Regardless of how it's done, the process isn't long and drawn out. It's completed usually within a relatively short period of time. But there's something else we might need to consider in this case. There's something else this man may have been thinking about. What if this man was thinking about his inheritance? I mean, it's possible that this man was waiting to claim an inheritance from his father. So so he wasn't just saying he wanted to wait until his father died. He, he was also saying, Lord, I have some money coming to me and I'd like to secure my financial future. And once that happens, I'll be ready. And at that time, I'll come and follow you. You see, that still was a matter of priority. It's very possible that sometimes we are going, you know, um, I still have these obligations, why? Because if I complete, if I fulfill these obligations, it'll set me up up in a more easy position to then follow you, Jesus. And so whether it's this religious obligation I have or this financial windfall that I might have coming my way, Jesus, I'll be more beneficial to you if I can work this business uh, situation out with me first. And this is where Jesus is going. None of these things are an excuse to prioritize our things above the things that are important to Jesus. And so this should really make us stop and think twice about what we prioritize. How we value the things that are good things, but maybe we've made them an ultimate thing and they've taken priority over God. It takes me to this third point in verses 61 through 62 where he says, well, let me stop for a minute because I think it's also important to think through this phrase, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You go spread the news of the kingdom of God. Now that we've got context, look at what Jesus is pointing out in this man. This man man not only had his priorities out of order, he also missed a sense of urgency. He made that false assumption that he could leave today and come back later and follow Jesus for any number of reasons. We all have assumed that at different times, countless people have assumed that they could put off following Jesus until later, but then later never comes. And they or we get sucked up in the cares of this life. Some of us, or some folks unfortunately die before they ever revisit that opportunity. Following Jesus is not only a matter of priority, it's a matter of urgency. And this, what we see is that in this case for this man, a lot of the things he was bringing up, that really wasn't stopping him from caring for his father. The ideas about following Jesus really shouldn't have stopped him from setting up, uh, putting things in place to make sure his father would be okay. This was an attempt to excuse himself from the cost of following Jesus. Now, when we look at this next part of the passage, the end of this passage, we're seeing the focus on family more specifically. And look at what's said here. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but First, let me go and say goodbye to my to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this is also an important thing. You know, for a long time in church, and I think even now, there are many in ministry or many who are believers who use this passage as an excuse sometimes to abandon family for the sake of ministry. And maybe they don't think they're abandoning. Maybe they think their family should just get to a place where they understand, and, and if they're following Jesus the way I've taught them to follow Jesus, then they'll understand this is for a greater cause. And yes, I can't be home X amount of time because I'm doing the work of the Lord. I can't be active in your life um, as you're growing up to be a young woman or a young man. I can't be there to help raise you and pour things into you and help uh, love you well and just be present. I can't do that because ministry comes first. Please understand. This Jesus is not giving you an excuse to abandon family for the sake of ministry. Here's a quick corrective. Got to be careful when you try to use scriptures like these to build a larger theology about the ways that you practice, right? Quick corrective. Here, Jesus's call is very clear and very direct. Follow me. That's an immediate call for an immediate physical departure in a very literal sense. Now, some people think That ministry of any kind is just a call to abandon family responsibilities, and they justify it with this passage. They would never say they're abandoning. They would say they're being faithful to the call of God, and they need a family who understands God so much that they are able to understand that dad or mom is called to a higher calling right now, and we've got to sacrifice. That is going beyond what is really being communicated here. How do we know that? Because in other places in scripture, it's obvious that anyone who doesn't take care of his own or her own is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. In God's eyes, not taking care of your family makes you look like somebody that's not a part of his. But what God is saying is that family should never take first priority over God. And please understand, God isn't really asking you to pit God against your family. And actually, if you prioritize God's heart and God's kingdom first, you'll actually love your family more. But like anything else, if your family becomes an idol, you will exalt family in ways that hinder the ways that you follow Jesus. You will exalt family in ways that hinder the ways that you follow Jesus. And so here, when this person says, I will follow you, let me say goodbye first. This, again, Jesus is showing a bigger picture here. What do you value and how highly do you value it? He wants you to love family. He wants you to care for family. But Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows that many times we just give excuses here. Well, I'm going to go say goodbye first. There's an immediate call here. There's an urgency here. And we miss the urgency and we make excuses. This person is completely overlooking the fact Jesus needs me, is asking me to walk now. He's asking me to follow him now. Jesus is on a path. He's been on this path for a minute and I'm staring at him. I need to follow him now. Now we may not always have, I think rarely will we hear an audible voice from Jesus right now, but there are very objective calls to us in the scriptures right now. What it means to love your neighbor, what it means, not love your neighbor at the expense of your family, but at the same time, we can oftentimes hide behind our family so that we don't have to love our neighbor well. Well, Or we can hide behind our family so that we don't actually have to be present for our brothers and sisters in Christ and the churches that we're a part of. Well, my family means this, so I can't show up to this, 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 or that to be present, to actively love and care for one another. Family first. Well, yes and no. Jesus says, we are not worthy of him if we love him less than we love our parents and our children. Jesus makes a shocking statement in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that word hate has a different meaning than we would use now. That word hate simply means if you don't lower the level of priority, of this thing, family, mom, dad, kids, whatever. If you don't lower that priority beneath the priority of following God, then you're not worthy of me. And then Jesus says, he compares the person who thinks like that. The person who wants to first say goodbye to their family. He, he likens them to a farmer who places his hand on the plow and then looks back. Now look, I know little to nothing about farming. But here's one thing I do know. When I'm moving forward and looking backward, I'm in danger of veering off course. Whenever you're looking forward, while you're looking backward, you are in danger of veering off course. You can't give your full focus to two different purposes. Either you're committing your life to follow Christ's mission, or you're continuing to live your life for yourself and for others. It's it's now, If you are truly following Christ's mission and everything is ordered properly, then you're able to love Jesus. It doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and, as long as Jesus is in the highest priority level. If Jesus is not in the highest priority level, then it will always be an either or. When you really consider Jesus and the way that he has lived his life, you look at where his life is throughout this entire uh, narrative in his wandering from place to place, here is someone for whom there's no room in the end. He has no place that he can figure out where to spend the night. His story develops, and what do we see? Judea rejects him. Galilee casts him out. Uh, Gadara begs him to leave its district. Samaria, Samaria just refuses him lodging. Earth won't have him, and finally, even heaven for a time forsakes him. The cost of our redemption could not have been more steep. And yet Christ endured the shame in your place, in my place, in our place. Why? Because of Christ's death, we ought to live for him and no one else. Because of what Christ has done, we ought to be able to live for him and no one else. These disciples, they exhibited the response Jesus expects of us all. They did it imperfectly. But what did they do here? They immediately left everything. We've already walked through several places. Jesus walks up and says, Follow me. They leave the fish, they follow. Another couple of brothers leave their fishing business that they're running with their father. Bye, Dad. Good luck with the servants. We're going to go follow Jesus. Didn't mean they didn't love their father. Didn't mean they didn't make some kind of plans to care for them. But the immediacy. The sense of urgency is so real. And so they, they stopped everything and they followed him. The question is, are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to do the same? If you don't see anything else here, one of the starkest realities of following Jesus is that it will cost you something. and You have to decide for yourself. No one can decide that for you. I can't decide that for you, but you have to decide Am I willing to pay the price, my comfort, my commitment, even my family, depending on how I order them? When we order it correctly, though, there is great joy and great reward in following Jesus. It's just not always going to be easy. It's going to come with hard choices, sacrifices, challenges along the way. But it's a place you and I have to get to and we have to stay in. Look, there's always going to be things that want to compete with this priority and this urgency. But in spite of those things, let's keep following Jesus and let the dead bury the dead because we are alive in him. And to be alive in Jesus is to allow our hearts to be awakened to the reality that there is a better priority that we now get to live into. The priority level we had before Jesus, this is important, this is important, this is important. This is what I give my life to. This is what I protect. This is what I hold on to. This is where I'm anchored. My comfort, my commitments, my family, all good things. But when they become ultimate things, they become idols. To no longer be dead is to have all of those good things reordered, right? Underneath the most ultimate thing, following Jesus. And so when we know where we are and we know that we've been made alive, we're no longer dead. So let the dead bury their dead. Let's reorder our lives in a way that says we are willing to count the cost. And so when we say, Jesus, I will follow you, we're doing that not just off of a whim, not just in our emotions, but also at the seat of our intellect and the seat of our will. I'm counting the cost. I know that this might be uncomfortable at times. I know that some of my commitments, the things that I thought were commitments, the things that I thought should be the number one commitment, I might need to change those things. And I'm realizing that I have to rightly order my family so that I don't exalt them above what Christ has called me to do. And in so doing, I end up loving my family more. Let's keep following Jesus and let the dead bury the dead. Let's pray. Father, you are you are good to us, and yet, in your goodness, you still call us into a place that is not always comfortable. God, let us not ever make the mistake of equating goodness with comfort. May we never run into the uh, the, the problem of thinking that anytime we're uncomfortable, it must not uh, be you involved. May we never make the mistake that thinks that because you are a God of peace. That means that anything that we feel that's uncomfortable must not be of you. God, I pray that we would know that there are times where we can be rooted in you and dealing with levels of discomfort, but we're doing so in an effort to follow you well, not in a uh, superficial way, not in a self-martyrdom way, but in a way that says we know what your call is clearly and we're following it. The ways that you have called us to love you, the way you've called us to love our neighbor, the way you've called us to love this world, Lord, that's your call for us. So God, anything that gets in the way of us loving you and our neighbor and this world, anything that gets in the way of that, give us a discomfort. Give us a discomfort and a conviction that forces us to say, am I truly counting the cost? If I'm not, Lord, give us the wisdom to to know how to reorder the good things and to reject the bad, the sinful, the wicked things. And Lord, let us do that not so that we can brag and yell to everybody else and show everybody else that we're followers of Jesus. Lord, let us do this in order to glorify you well, and that your name is made famous, and that that draws people to you. Lord, let us do that now, not for our sake, but for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's receive this final benediction uh, together. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you.